Welcome in to Season 4 of the Wrestling of Legends Podcast. I am your host, Vince McKee. And yes, it is the season premiere right here, Season 4 of the show. Hard to believe we've been doing this uh, since the early days of the pandemic back in 2020. Uh, started doing it in the spring that year, and it has definitely become our yearly tradition here at Key Island Sports. Once high school football and basketball is done for the year, we always have a little bit of time uh, left over, and you know, we've heard from the fans how much you love hearing from these legends of the WWE. We certainly have one today. Steve Lombardi uh, wrestled for many, many years with the company as clearly the Brooklyn Brawler, his most famous gimmick, along with Kim Chi, Doink the Clown, Abe Knuckleball Schwartz, the Black Knight, and several others. We're very excited to have Mr. Lombardi on the show today. Without any further ado, let's get him to the phone and get this episode rolling. And again, welcome back as Season 4 begins. Alright fans, welcome in now again, uh, our guest today. It is uh, Steve Lombardi, as we said there in the opening, you guys knew him uh, very well as the Brooklyn Brawler, uh, along with several other gimmicks we'll get to here shortly. Welcome into the show and thank you for joining us today, sir. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, Absolutely. Um, You know, just kind of wanted to start off uh, very early into your career with the then WWF. You had worked with several talents, uh, helping to put them over and establish their names on WWF television. Who were some of the men you enjoyed working with the most in the very beginning, and who were some of the names that were uh, a bit a bit more challenging? Okay, the number one name is Rock. I had his first match, his ever, his only his first appearance ever in front of an audience. And if you watch Young Rock, you'll see that you, season two, episode eight, you can actually see it on Young Rock. Mm-hmm. There's an actor playing me. There's an actor, actor playing him. Because I was 37 when I had the match. He's never been in front of the audience. The audience booed him right out of the building. You know, it was in it, they didn't know him as the Rock. Did you, can you so sense, that, yeah, definitely, I mean, can, can you sense that he, even though with the crowd reaction of what it was, given his family yeah, history? Yeah, well, if you, if, if, if you watch the episode, mm-hmm. it's very realistic. Get out of here, go back to Florida, we don't know who you are. Who the hell are you, what are you doing in the ring? You know, because he was not known yet. He only had $7 in the bank when I wrestled him. I know since he's eight years old, I also had his dad's first match in WWF. I also had Ricky Steamboat's first match in WWF. I also had Mark Henry's first match in WWF. I also had Bret Hart's first match in WWF. I also had Owen Hart's first match in WWF. I mean, I could go on and on and on. They always ask me to introduce the people to, uh, you know, see how good they are, you know. You know, and uh, Rock hit a home. Rock hit a home run the first match. He hit every move, every high spot. He did everything. He got a contract in two days. Because what happened? Did you ever watch? Did you watch the episode? Oh yes, sir. We we watched it every week religiously. I mean, did you see my episode? Yes, sir. We watch it every week religiously. It's uh, definitely a staple okay. of our house. Okay. We enjoy okay, it. When I, when I had his match. Remember when I had him in a reverse chin lock and his hand was down on the ground? Mm-hmm. And he, he, he whispered to me, what should we do next? And I said to him, just shut up and see if they give a shit about you. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, he, he, saw, he started raising his hand slow and the people were coming up with him. 
You know what I mean? They believed, they, you know, they believed in everything he did. He, when he was selling, I was beating the shit out of him. And then when his hand went up, the whole backstage freaked out because it was his first time ever in front of an audience. And we convinced the people that he knew what he was doing. You mentioned uh, a couple names there as well. Uh, two of our favorites, uh, certainly. You mentioned uh, Ricky Steamboat and also Bret Hart. Ricky Steamboat. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's start with Ricky Steamboat. Sure. Ricky Steamboat was a big star in Charlotte. And his first match was in WWF was in Poughkeepsie, New York. I was just starting in business. So they were, you know, they were just squashing me, beating the shit out of me, beating the shit out of me. So all, all of a sudden, my name was on the list against Ricky Steamboat in his very first debut match in WWF. So I went up to him. I said, Mr. Steamboat, I'm Steve Lombardi. I'm wrestling you tonight for the first time in WWF. He says, I just want to tell you one thing. I don't beat dish rags. So he took me in the ring. And he, and he treated me like I was a, like I was a top guy, where he would sell for me the same way he would with anybody else. And uh, all the boys freaked out. I remember walking back and Tito Santana going, "How did that feel? How did it feel?" The guy actually gave me offense and sold for me. And ever since he did that, all the other talents started doing the same thing. So Ricky Steamboat actually started my my. Uh, Competitive career. That's excellent. Bret Hart. Mm-hmm. Bret Hart came in with a backwards baseball cap. He, 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 he always dressed like very casual. He, but he was from uh, Stu's Dungeon, which everybody from Calgary was very polished. So Bret, Bret Hart was like technically sound, but the problem was Hulk Hogan. Randy Savage, all these other guys were a lot bigger than him. Well, not Randy Savage, but Hulk Hogan. You know, and, and Vince was looking more at the big guys, you know. Mm-hmm. So Brett, Brett worked his way up being the great the technical wrestler that everyone wanted to wrestle. And, you know, there's, there's, a, lot of, there's a lot of stories with Brett, you know. You know, like the Montreal Screwjob and all that stuff. You were, um, you've heard about that. Oh, gosh, yeah. I mean, you know, okay. that's much okay. later here's, on. But here's, did... here's, here's a good story for you. Sure. Bret Hart, uh, there was a, we were in a battle royal in Madison Square Garden. And uh, Ken Shemrock, remember Ken? Certainly. He was, he was supposed to win, but he hurt his sternum which is a bone in the center of your chest. Mm-hmm. He heard it in the match earlier. So everybody went into Vince's room and said, Vince, no, Shemrock cannot go over. He can't even wrestle. He's hurt. Vince put his glasses down to the tip of his nose. He looked up. He, looked, he said, put over the Brooklyn Brawler. He goes, he's local. And then I, he did not remember that he, 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 uh, he announced the winner of the Battle Royal will wrestle the world champion in the next Garden show. Yeah. So so at, the, at that time, the world champion was Brett. Now, Brett, Brett then the Montreal Screwjob came before 
the next Carden show. So Brett and uh, Sean had a falling out because Sean said, you, you, well, in Brett's words, said, what I'm doing for you, I would do for no one else in my hometown. And then he, Brett, I quote Sean, Sean said, that's a lot more than I would ever do for you. So, so Brett went into Vince and said, I'm not putting Sean over. And uh, they had a big, a big uh, argument. He says, "I'll tell you, I'll tell, I'll tell you what, I will do a job and lose to the Brooklyn Brawler." Little, actually, I don't know if I was a brawler, uh, Steve Lombardi. And he says, "Before I do it for Sean, if you ask Brett the same question, he'll tell you the same answer." So I wound up wrestling uh, Sean Michaels in Madison Square Garden. Now Sean was not the same Sean yesterday as he is today. Today he's very uh, religious, he's very uh, tight. Then he was then he was a rebel. Him and Marty were like, uh, you know, practical joke. It's just like the chief used to say, chief is strong. The inmates run the asylum. Mm-hmm. You know, because it, it was privately owned, then owned the uh, the company himself. That when it went, and then... Um, we were sitting in a bar. It was me, Arnold Skoll, and Shawn Michaels comes walking in. Arnold Skoll goes, hey, Shawn, you know you're wrestling in the garden next, uh, next month or week or whatever it was? He goes, the guy sitting right next to me, the broken brawler. Now, I said to myself, he's going to go crazy. He's going to be pissed off. Instead, he did the complete opposite. He got excited about the match. He, he said, oh, man, could you do this? Can you super kick? Can you leapfrog? Can you do it? He started going crazy. <laughs> I said, yeah, I'll do anything you want. I'll do anything you want. So I got to wrestle with Shawn Michaels in Madison Square Garden the first day of the origination of DX. So China and Hunter were on the apron. He gave me the match of a lifetime. And Hunter, he was, he, I popped him off the apron. China, you know, back then he could hit a girl, you know. But uh, it, it was uh, 23,000 people. I mean, my goal was to wrestle at Madison Square Garden one time my whole life. I wrestled there 52 times in 32 years. So my dream came through 52 times. Well, that's incredible. You know, that night of the Montreal screw job, how do you think that was handled? I mean, do, who do you think was right and who do you think was wrong? Or is there no right or wrong in that kind of situation? You, you think you're asking me if Vince should have canceled the show or just kept going? The the Montreal screw job. Mean? Do you feel yeah. that Brett was uh, right not to want a job out to Shawn Michaels, or do you feel well, that Vince he, was? Well, well, he took it as disrespect. In other words, you know what? I'm doing this interview for you, and you're telling me right now I would never do one for you. You know what I mean? Certainly. That's the way it is. He got insulted. He was insulted. And I don't blame him. No. You know, um, the the other thing, too, I I wanted to circle back a little bit is, you know, in 1989, early 1989, um, you started a program with the Red Rooster, but you were managed by Bobby Heenan. And to me... And I'll be honest, at that time I was a little boy, but I, I definitely remember Crystal Clear because it was really cool to see you get a bit of a push there. Um, I'm just wondering, whose idea was that, and what was it like working with Bobby Heenan? Bobby Heenan, to me, made my whole career. 
he came up to me and he says, now you know how to work, now we're going to teach you how to make money. So he told me to wear ripped up clothes and get all scruffy looking, and then I'll never forget it, it was in Hershey, Pennsylvania. He said, come in, come outside with me. He said, see that dirt right there? Roll around in the dirt. I said, Father, what are you, crazy? I'm going to roll around in the dirt. He goes, I want you to be a scruffy, dirty street fighter. That's what he wanted. You know, and, and then uh, my career went, went to the moon after that. I mean, he was the greatest manager of that, of that day. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Completely agreed. I wanted to I wanted to uh, ask you this too, and and to me this is probably a question I'm I'm guessing no one's ever asked you, but I think it's pretty cool actually. Um, you wrestled in the Sky Dome at WrestleMania six, in uh, you know what was seen as an opening match. A lot of people don't realize it until you go to a who live show. Who, who, who did I wrestle with? I don't remember. Uh, Paul Roma, but okay. What was it like wrestling in the Sky Dome with that many people there, and you know. 67,000 people in Toronto for WrestleMania 6. Everybody was there that night for Hulk Hogan versus Ultimate Warrior, and we're going to get to that in a second, but do you, oh, yeah. do you, you yeah. know, remember your part of that night? I remember. It, it, it's so hard to explain unless you feel it yourself. When you're in a small, intimate, intimate building, like Poughkeepsie, New York, which is uh, probably all 500 people, I've, I've wrestled in the Pontiac Silverdome in front of 93,000 people. You know, you, you feel like you're, it's easier and you're more in touch with, with the people when it's a smaller audience. When, it, when it's, a, when it's a, the Pontiac Silverdome is huge. Certainly. And I believe that, uh, yeah. And it feels like the people are so far away that they're not getting the same feeling that you're trying to portray as if it was a small audience. Later on that night, it was Ultimate Warrior at WrestleMania 6 defeating Hawk Hogan. Do you feel that was the right move for the company to make to take the belt off of Hogan and put it on the Ultimate Warrior, or do you think that might have been a bit of a mistake? No, I think it was a good good move because Hogan did not even need the belt. Hogan could sell out without the belt. So what they did was they, they they took Hogan's belt, put it on Warrior, and of course Hogan agreed to it. Now we got two guys. We got a guy who doesn't, he, he looks great, his body looks great, but he doesn't have the charisma that Hogan had. Hogan had a special feeling like, a, like he's a movie star, like a superstar. So the belt meant nothing to Hogan. What was it like working with the Ultimate Warrior? I worked with the Ultimate Warrior 47 consecutive days in a row. Oh, my gosh. He was he was very, I don't mean day after day. I mean, every time I went on the road. Sure. I went home three days. I was, yeah. So, anyway, he was he, he was very excited. He, he, he would run to the ring full, full speed. He'd get in the ring. He'd be winded already. And then, you know, his thing was he would shake the ropes and he just pound on him, you pound on him, you pound on him, and then he keeps moving around by pounding and then he unloads and he throws you in for the clothesline and then picks you up, drops you behind him. It was was very, it was very, like, iffy, iffy that that he was, that that was good enough to to get get his 
high of a status that he got. And there was one, it was one time, and I'll, I, the story's out now because I said it before, but it was podcast and I told his wife. They came into me and they said, we're going to go up to Ultimate Warrior and we're going to tell him that you're going to win tonight. <laughs> so I, li- I liked I liked him. I didn't want him to go, fuck this shit, I can't stand it, I, I'm not going to. So what I did was, I went I went in the, into his dressing room, which back then it was private. You know, private dressing room for Hogan, private dressing room for Warrior, it was like that. I went in there, I said, Jim. But it wasn't private for him yet. I said, Jim, they're going to test you tonight. They're going to tell you I'm going over. What you need to say is, anything you want, I'm here for business. He, he said, holy shit, I can't believe you told me this. <laughs> I says. I told I told you it, but I shouldn't have told you it. But I like you, and I, and I want you. To, I want you to make it. So then, the company was on the outs with him for years and years and years, and then they got they got back together as you know in a friendship, and they put him in the Hall of Fame. So I then he did have a private dressing room. I walked into it. He started crying. He goes. I was just thinking about you. He goes, I can't believe you were the only one that did not knock me on on the tape. Remember they made a, a oh, yeah. DVD knocking him? Self-destruction of the Ultimate goes, Warrior. Yeah, very good. And, and uh, he says, you're the only one on the tape that talked good about me. You're the only one that said good words about me. He says, so be prepared to stand up at the Hall of Fame tonight. And I'm going to tell the story. I said, Jim, please don't tell the story because I'm presently working for the, I'm presently working for the company, and they're going to say we can't tell him anything because he goes back into you know. Did I do the right thing? I would do the same thing over again. But uh, I think I did him a hell of a favor because back then it was like I'm not doing a job for him, you know. I'm not, I'm not losing to him, I'm not, you know. but it wasn't like that. He, he said exactly what I said. And then they started using them. And, and I, I think it's a hell of a story. But they, they did say, stand up. And he said, uh, you can find the seat online if you want. He goes, is Stephen Barney in the audience? Could you stand up? I stood up and he said, Steve took a lot of my abuse over the years and always kept a great attitude. That's all he said. Yeah, no, certainly so. And I thought that was pretty incredible. And I wanted to bring something up to you here because... A big reason why, you know, I've been trying to interview you here for a while, and I'm finally glad we were able to hook up and do this. Um, last year, on the show, we had uh, Barry Horowitz came on and did an uh, interview with us. And then we also had uh, Dusty Wolf came on and did an interview with us as well. And both those guys were very adamant, because you just got done talking about the Hall of Fame, so that's why I wanted to bring this up. Both those guys were very adamant that there should be an enhancement talent wing of the hall of fame definitely something that should be a tradition every year and you could ask anybody and that that's usually the the first three people everybody names is clearly the brooklyn brawler barry howitz and dusty wolf how would you feel about something like that i'd, I'd be all for it but it's not my decision and, and if that doesn't happen believe me i'm not gonna lose any sleep you know what i mean because like a lot like like uh my best friend, you know, Harvey Whippleman, mm-hmm. you know, downtown Bruno, he says, show me where the hall is. There isn't even a hall. There ain't, we don't even have a hall. 
you know, but, but the idea is people understood as I got older that losing was not because you're the shits. It's because I was paid to, to find the faults in the person and the strengths in the person. And I accentuated, accentuated the strength of the person and hid the faults. Like I would, when I went to ring with Ricky Steamboat, I didn't do the same thing I did when I went to ring with Mark Henry. You know, you know what I mean? They used mm-hmm. power match spots with him because it was a power match. And uh, Ricky Steamboat could do anything. You yeah. Double leap bar. Oh, sure. And anything. But uh, you, you had to adjust. It's like being a chameleon. You, have, you had to adjust to that person's strong points. You know, the the interesting thing, too, and I, I have his name written down here to ask you a question about him, so I'm actually gra- glad you brought it up, is Harvey Whippleman. Um, you know, downtown Bruno, Harvey Whippleman, however he wanted to go by at that time, I had met you on the road a few times as a fan. I just happened to be a, in a hotel at the same time or a restaurant, and uh, every time I met you, you were with Harvey, so I knew there was probably a bit of a friendship there. What kind of roles did you guys have? Uh, we were best friends for like 25, 30 years. We traveled together. Yeah. What what kind of roles did you guys have backstage when, the you know, if you were not on screen, you were kind of a backstage role? What were the types of things you guys would do? Harvey or me? Well, um, well both of you. Okay, Harvey, was he likes to be called a concierge because anything and everything that needed to be get done or, or needed you needed right away, you go to Harvey, he had that gift of making it happen. Me, I had a fantastic rapport with all the wrestlers, so I was able to get the wrestler in the room to do what was needed to be done. So they put me in charge of the they, they call it a pre-tape room, which you would call like a production room, mm-hmm. where I did DVDs, international leads, uh, the actual uh, video, the destruction of Ultimate Warrior, I, I actually put that together. I actually sat in the chair and asked myself the question out loud, and then paused, and then answered them. You know, that's how I put myself in them. Right. So I, I plus, when you're doing that, now you're, you're okay, this is wait, this is after Bobby Heenan and all that shit. So then you become like, you know, not forgotten, but, oh, the Brooklyn Bowl, this and that, this and that. That's, that's why they picked me to beat Triple H. That's why they picked me to beat certain people, because it's like the Rocky movie. Rocky was not supposed to beat Club Lane. You know what I mean? He's mm-hmm. an underdog. If you put if you put somebody on the same level, then it's too it's too competitive. It's too having having Sylvester Stallone go over make, makes it more more exciting because it wasn't expected. So and there was a lot of a lot of moments in my life like that. Yeah, I mean, to me, your story is great, and I'll tell you why. Quite frankly. It's it's perseverance, hard work, dedication, and loyalty. And those are words that a lot of people do not live by these days, and they should. And that's something you did. I mean, a tremendous, no ego involved, and just worked your butt off. And again, I'll be honest, to me, that that's definitely something that a lot of people could learn from, whether it's professional wrestling, sports entertainment, whatever you want to call it. 
it's not an easy life, but it is something you committed to your, yourself for a long time. So certainly, you know, as a fan, that that jumped off the screen for me. Um, I had two questions left for you. One of them has to do with a guy that you had mentioned earlier with Owen Hart. Um, again, you know, as a wrestling fan, this was something that was very difficult for me to, you know, get through. It was his tragic passing. Um, how hard was that for you guys to be able to, you know, step back into reality there so quickly? And I mean, do you feel that, uh, you know, Vince McMahon did the right thing by having that show continue on that night or should, should it have been called or just how chaotic were things? Everybody asked that question. I, it's done now. Vince did. If Vince called the show off, they would have bitched about that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Everybody, everybody wants what they don't have. I believe Owen would have wanted the show to go on. That's my personal belief, knowing knowing Owen for so many years. What, what everybody was your... it was part of the show. Sure. Everybody thought it was part of the show, you know. He fell 90 feet from the, from the sky. My last words were him, to him were, as he was walking up with the suit on, I said, where are you going on? He goes, I'm moonlighting. Those are my last words to Owen. But uh, I, I, whatever decision was made, people always complain. They'll always complain. That's in life in general. Now, you follow me on Twitter, right? Yes, sir. Do you see how positive I stay with everything? Constantly. I, I, I practice my life that way. I practice my life that way. You should be grateful for everything you have, no matter what you have. And, and you know what I mean? And the success of, of, of being successful is doing the best with what you have, and that is the damn truth, and that's what I believe. Absolutely. I, you're 100% right. I, it's, all, it's right for everything, and every job, and every person. You know, everybody thinks... If you don't look like Hulk Hogan, you'll, you'll never make it. You'll never make it. I didn't look nothing like Hulk Hogan. I made it. You know, I did, I did very, very, very well. I think your story is an incredible uh, one. I, I do. And, and like I said, I, I mean, well, we followed that, you for that that's reason. Why put, that's why Rock put, put me on his show. Because he, he knew. He knew. He, they said, when they called me up, Universal Studios, Rock's president of his lawyers, all kinds of people. They uh, they said Rock came up with the idea. Rock wanted it. He wants the truth. He wants a story about me having his first match ever, not only in WWF, ever. And he says it right in his show in his whole life. He didn't even have tights. He didn't even have boots. He had nothing. He had to borrow everything. He had nothing he has that's why he named his uh, production company Seven Bucks Production, because he only had seven dollars when he started. Now he's got like 180 million. Yeah, he's the rich, richest man in Hollywood now. You know, Duh. it's incredible. And again, it, it's another story of pers- like we said, perseverance and, and positive attitude. Um, you know, I, I could sit here and uh, yeah, I, I don't want to monopolize your time here, so I, I do appreciate you coming in for this interview. I could ask you a million questions about the 80s and 90s wrestling, but I did. I, I wanted to, um, you know, finish this up, though, with a question about uh, what's going on currently with the product. 
which I personally enjoy very much. But do you feel, you know, because you because when you were with the WWF, and let me try to frame this the best way I can. When you were early on with the WWF, Hulk Hogan had a world title run of about three years, a little over three years, almost four years. Now, Roman Reigns in today's current environment is about halfway there, if not a little over halfway. Do you think it'd be a good idea to have him surpass Hogan's run of consecutive days as champion? Or do you kind of see it maybe coming to a close here at WrestleMania against Cody Rhodes? I think... What you don't expect is going to happen. You don't expect Cody uh, to take the title off of Roman Reigns. To me, knowing what I know, why give them what they think is going to happen? I'm not saying I, I'm not telling you. I don't. I don't know to be honest. I don't know any finishes. Which, which is you know now what they want to bet on wrestling. How the hell can you bet on wrestling? <laughs> yeah. Did you, did you hear that? Yeah, that's insane. That? I'm sorry. I love you guys too much. That's insane. I, I don't. What you guys do is an art form, and 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 uh, it's so creative. If I get to speak bluntly, yeah. it's so freaking creative. And I've written books. You know, I mean, I'm several times published author. All this crap, and uh, I know how hard it is to come up with an idea. So to think that that could be manipulated or screwed with. Um, with with gambling, just I, I'll be honest with you. I think it's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. It turns my stomach. Every wrestler's gonna be on the side calling their buddy up and saying, "Bet on this." <laughs> it's it's unbelievable that they would even allow <laughs> it. I think they swatched that idea. That 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 didn't fly. Yeah. Do you think Vince McMahon will come like back full time? You know, because with with the sell of the company and. Everything going on. I mean, can you see him moving back into that creative role, or just? I, I, I really, I really, I can see it. I think he's still involved, but he, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. No one really knows. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know the whole story. I mean, I don't know where the, where the case lands. You know, so right now it's. it's Civil or criminal. It's only criminal if you use corporate money. If it's personal money, it's a civil thing. Yep. You know, so I don't. He's always been good to me. I don't have a bad word to say about Vince. And uh, I don't have a bad word to say about anybody in the company. No? No, and, and where can people follow Not you on no. Twitter? Yeah, all the rest of them will follow me. But, uh,. I'm not just saying it because of them, because I really don't care. If I don't like somebody, I'm say it right out. But I, I got along with everyone. I got along with everyone. Now, now you got to admit, talking to Barry and talking to me is like two different species, isn't it? Completely. Completely. Yeah. And Yeah. You say you say the word job, or you're going to get a hang-up in your face. I did not say the word job or once. Word. <laughs> you, if, you, if, you, if you say the word jobber to me, you know what I tell you? Anyone that has a job is a jobber. And all their bosses are jobbies. Yes. Jobber is not an insult to me. Yeah, that was my job to wrestle, to make those guys look good. Jobber to him means, uh, 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 I lost all the time, I lost all the time. They, they even changed it to developmental. They, then they changed it to ring architect. They don't even, people know now. Like half the guys that I, that I got beat by, I can beat up in the back. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's like it's, 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 
it's like a movie. It's like a movie. P. Yeah, I don't look at it that way. Like a movie. It's incredible. If I could, if but, I could. Know, oh, go ahead. I mean, it, oh yeah, yeah. Here, here's the thing. Here's the thing, right? And I'm, I'm again, I'm being very blunt. Listen, so right. my dad was a bus driver. All right, my dad drove right. a bus for thirty plus years. He had a job. Right. My grandfather was a mailman, a He's postal a carrier. Exactly. My my grandpa carried oh. mail for thirty years. But you know what they did? They provided for their family. There was a paycheck. There was food on the table. So you could call it whatever you want. At the end of the day, they provided. Yeah. That's the way I look at it. You, 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 I'm glad you look at it that way because there's a lot of people that don't look at it that way, and I think it's stupidity. I really do. Oh, absolutely. But uh, anyone who has a job, I don't care if it's a police officer, I don't care if it's, it's a butcher, I don't care if it's a guy delivering groceries, it's a jobber. Agreed. That's so the way I, look at it. I agree completely, sir. I truly do. So my last question for you today. And again, you know, on behalf of our show and our fans who listen, we appreciate this very much. Um, we cover a lot of pro sports and high school sports, but this is the time of year before baseball begins, and we have a little bit of time on our hands. And this is definitely when I like to bring in professional wrestlers and, and MMA, because that's the one sport that does not have an off season. So we appreciate being here. But my last question for you here, I think, is unbelievably unique. All those years spent with the WWF coming into the Attitude Era, which was just amazing electric right was there ever talk or how shocked were you when all of a sudden in 2001 wcw is bought out by vince mcmahon is this something that he had talked about because to me as a wrestling fan it came completely out of left field well ted turner had a lot more money and he had his own network so he had more he had, he had more assets to pass up vince but he didn't have the smarts. And plus, Vince owned it personally, so we could do the, the uh, Attitude Era. Ted Turner couldn't do the Attitude Era on TBS. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So the Attitude Era, I did the uh, success to. And I, I, I he bought it for pennies on a dollar. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was like two million bucks. Whatever, yeah, it's like nothing. Everybody jumped there, they took all his money, then they jump back. Yep. You know, I mean, he was, he was paying all these big contracts. Okay, I got Hogan now, but you don't know what the hell to do with Hogan. Lex Luger. You know? Yeah, certainly. I Lex, mean. Yeah, Lex, Lex Luger. I mean, they know it, but you can't blame the wrestlers for going to the money because Ted Turner was paying huge amounts of money. You know, just to go in there, you get like $2 million, $3 million, you know? Yep. So I think they did the right thing. But the Attitude Era, to me, was the best era. Uh, I, th- I think it was unmatched, certainly. Um, so, hey, we wanted to thank you again. We appreciate you coming on the show today. Is there? You had mentioned your Twitter account. Is there any social media plugs you would like to go ahead and plug before we wrap up? Follow, follow me on Twitter, Brawler Real, and uh, I will follow you back. Brawler Real. Now, are you the one that did my PayPal and all that? You know, I, you know, I, I, did you see that one tweet I put out of me in the first match? Mm-hmm. I said I was blessed to be in the story, Brooke, that came true. Locks, first match ever. Because like, like I said to him in the car in that series, 
you mean your first match at WBF? He goes, no, Steve, I mean, my first match ever in my life. I mean, the guy has never been in front of it, 10 people in his life. But by the time I had that match over with, they were cheering the hell out of him. They were booing me. It's a job well done. So, well, I enjoyed this interview because you, you know, you're, you're asking good questions and you're asking uh, the right questions. Well, certainly if wanna, so. If you want to really learn, if you really want to learn from podcasts, go to the one with me. And that will do it for episode one of season four of the Wrestling Old Legends podcast. I was your host, Vin- Vince McKee. Again, we want to thank our guest, the Brooklyn Brawler, Steve Lombardi. Quite the insightful interview. Definitely going to have to have him back, maybe do a little webcast next time. Um, very, very enjoyable. So we want to thank him again. And guys, coming up here in the next couple weeks, uh, our guest will include Ahmed Johnson, uh, Jameson, if you guys remember Jameson, when we're talking about old school WWF, obviously, uh, as the Bushwhackers would call him, Bloody Jameson. Um, just two of the names coming up. And uh, Thursday, we're looking at bringing on Mark Canterbury, as you guys knew him very well, as Henry O. Godwin. We'll talk to everybody soon. Thanks for coming aboard. <laughs>